Today's sermon is a story from beginning to end. I just tell you that this particular story never fails to move my soul. And every time a Sabbath coincides with October 31, almost every time, I am compelled to revisit the story. As I was thinking and praying last night and again this morning, I said, oh, Lord, if we get to this story and just have a great story and everybody misses the point of the story, what's the point? So I want, I want to give you a, a hint of what the, the bottom line to this story is because we're not just swapping stories. Here's the big idea. I want to go to some red-letter words in the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, Jesus speaking. As a clue to the, to the bottom line to this tale. John chapter 5, I'm in the New King James Version, then I'll pray with you and we'll plunge into the story. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 39, should be read if you have a red letter Bible. You see the whole verse on the screen, but I'm going to read the words that are marked there in blue on the screen. Jesus speaking, we're going to turn this into an imperative, it's a command. Search the Scriptures, for these are they which testify of me. I want you to go to this book. Search it. This is what testifies to me. I believe with all my heart that if, you, if with genuine desire you turn to this book, you're going to meet Christ right here. He says, this, this, this is my story. You'll meet me here. You say, do I was a big deal about that? I mean, we all knew that. Now, here's the big deal. God is raising up, I'm really praying, God is raising up a band of young men and women on this campus to live out the story that we're about to, to review. I believe God is raising up a generation of not-so-young men and women at this critical time. These stories, one day your story, this one will align, but God is raising up people who will be sold out on this book. God can take just one. That's the deal. With one heart willing to be available, you can start a fire that will set this world ablaze, bring it to its final gasp. The story is clear. Just one. That's all he needs. So today, October 31... I want to go to the story, put the title on the screen for you. This is our little mini-series, Mission Possible, but the title of this one, How to Stand Alone, Living Up to the Luther in You. Let's pray. Dear God, what would it take? I'm thinking there's somebody here that you are already beginning to move on. Some mind here, some heart, some life. And, oh, God, as we fly through this story. If we are that one, may we hear your voice clearly. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It was a cloudy, windswept day, October 31, Hallowed Eve. They called it Hallowed Eve because it's the day before November 1, All Saints Day. That would be tomorrow. 
And everybody knows that tomorrow the masses will flood onto the campus. They will enter the campus church. For inside that sanctuary will be assembled one of the most stunning collections of holy relics in the land, bar none. Included in those relics they will find tomorrow a jagged thorn from Christ's plated crown of thorns. A dusty piece from the baby Jesus manger, torn fragments of his diapers, glittering portions of the wise men's gold, a crumbling piece of ascension rock, and a faded strand of Mother Mary's hair. And why will the crowds pay dearly tomorrow for entrance to gaze upon these sacred relics? Ah, because they've, they've heard the decretal that has announced a plenary indulgence. What is a plenary indulgence? It declares that you can actually cut off time for those you love or for yourself from a place called purgatory. In fact, if you view the entire collection, some have estimated since then that the amount of time cut off would be up to two million years in those cleansing fires. 498 years ago tomorrow, they will come to the university church. 498 years ago today, October 31, 1517, a young 33-year-old Augustinian monk storming out of the black cloister where he lives with his fellow priests. He is a professor, he is a pastor, and he is a priest. His tonsured head, that means his head is shaved, except they leave a ring of hair. His tonsured head bent down, determined, his angry feet just scattering the strewn autumn leaves. He's incensed because that get-out-of-purgatory-free card is being purchased by his parishioners at the expense of their meager earnings. He's furious. And so clutching in his hands, he's going straight to the bulletin board of the university, which happens to be the doors of the cathedral. A document, 95 theses, written by his own hand, written in Latin. Who's going to read it? He's not concerned about the masses. He wants to take on a debate with the educated, with the, with the professors. So he writes in their language of Latin. He doesn't know this young 33-year-old Martin that somebody will rip those 95 theses down, translate them into German, and by the thousands, the pages will be handed out. Little does he know that with those hammer blows, he ignites the spark of the profligation we still know today as the Protestant Reformation. And, by the way, that Reformation is your legacy and it's my legacy. So look at I went to, I went to Wittenberg. Used to be in East Germany. I went when, after the wall came down. Little uh, gift shop right beside the University Cathedral. I bought the 95 Theses. I have them here. All they are, are they're, they're a collection of, of assertions, Thesis 1, Thesis 2. Have you ever heard any of them? I hadn't either. Let me just read a line or two to you. Thesis number 1, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ in saying, repent ye, intended that the whole life of His believers on earth should be a constant penance. It's not something you come to every three or four years, you put, you know, buy a little something. No, 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 your whole life. Thesis number 27. They preach vanity who say that the soul flies out of purgatory as soon as the money thrown into the chest rattles. You see, what really has him furious today is that a Dominican friar named Tetzel 
has come up from the south, and he is hawking. He is hawking these indulgences, and he has a little he has a little jingle that the people are memorizing. And the jingle goes like this: As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Put a coin in the coffer. Free your mom and dad. Put a coin in the coffer. Free yourself when your turn comes. That's that, that's uh, that's thesis number twenty-seven. Let me give you another one. Thesis number sixty-two. The right and true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. Thesis number 82. Why does not the Pope deliver all souls at the same time out of purgatory for the sake of most holy love and on account of the bitterest distress of those souls? Just let them all go. Thesis number 94, Christians should be exhorted to endeavor to follow Christ their head through cross, death, and hell. And thus, number 95, hope with confidence to enter heaven through many miseries rather than in false security. What was the spark that ignited the Reformation? I'll put them on the screen for you. The three solas. Have you heard of these? Sola Scriptura, by Scripture alone. Sola Fide, by faith alone. Sola Gratia, by grace alone. Poor Martin. His father had such high hopes of being proud of his boy. He was going to be a great lawyer one day. And he's coming back to law school, young Martin, in his early 20s. He's going to the University of Erfurt. He's walking on foot, doesn't realize a thunderstorm has gathered around him. And then the heavens explode with thunder, lightning. And when a shaft of lightning comes down and strikes the wet dirt beside him and hurls him through the air, instinctively he calls on the patron saint of minors. His dad's a minor. The patron saint of minors, Saint Anne, help me and I will become a monk. Boom. He lands on the ground, spared. And just like that, he changed his major. As some of you know, from law to the priesthood, his father was devastated, and Martin is now plunged into the bipolar world of good and evil, light and darkness, peace and distress, hope and despair, and thus begins from the year 1505 a torturous journey toward the gospel and toward Christ himself. Luther later wrote, all these uh, quotations are in the study guide in your bulletin. You can have them. He later wrote, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that ever, if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work, end quote. Luther would return to the confessional day after day after day. One day, it's recorded, he spent six hours rehearsing his sins to the confessor. Finally, the priest, receiving the confession, exclaimed, Man, God is not angry at you. You are angry with God. Don't you know that God commands you to hope? Luther later recalled his words on the screen, I was myself more than once driven to the very abyss of despair so that I wished I had never been created. Love God. I hated Him. Finally, Martin's father superior, Johann Staupitz, spoke words that penetrated that deeply troubled mind. And Great Controversy actually records these words, put it on the screen for you. When it appeared to Luther that all was lost, God raised up a friend and helper for him. 
The pious Staupitz opened the Word of God to Luther's mind and made him look away from himself, cease the contemplation of infinite punishment for the violation of God's law, and look to Jesus, his sin-pardoning Savior. Now, quoting Staupitz, Instead of torturing yourself on account of your sins, throw yourself into the Redeemer's arms. Trust in Him, in the righteousness of His life, in the atonement of His death. Listen to the Son of God. Martin, he became a man to give you the assurance of divine favor. Love him who first loved you. The seeds already. In the words of Staupitz, the three solas, sola fide, trust him, sola gratia, the divine gift, sola scriptura, read the word. Martin, in fact, discovered the word of God chained to a wall of the monastery. And you and I are thinking, it, it, it is totally foreign to us. I mean, we've, we, have, we, have a, we have the Word of God on our, on our phones. In fact, if it's a smartphone, you have the Word of God on it. We have the Word of God on our laptops. We have it on our tablets. We have, we have our shelves covered with the Bibles. We can't imagine one Bible, and he finds it chained to a wall. Great Controversy writes, above everything else, Martin delighted in the study of God's Word and to this, this troubled, this troubled monk, and to this he often repaired. Years later of God's Word, Luther wrote these words. This, he's writing, this, uh, this is on earth, though there is rather, there is on earth no clearer book written than the Holy Scripture, which compared with all other books is like the sun compared with all lights. I don't know what happened on campus uh, last Wednesday night, but you know when that wind was really kicking up? Our, our, our entire neighborhood went out. We lost our power. We lost it until 4.30 in the morning. So Karen and I, go, we, we go out to the window and we look down the neighborhood. I, I tell you what, a neighborhood without light, it's just kind of, it's, it's kind of creepy. It's weird. Just nothing. So we lighted up a couple candles. And you know, your, your eyes eventually adjust to it and the, the candles actually look bright. But can you imagine going out the next day and holding those candles up and asking the question, hey, which is brighter, the sun or these? That's precisely Luther's point. The Scriptures is the sun. All of the literature, every other book, anything you read is as that flickering candle against the sun of Holy Scripture. It's no wonder that when he was kidnapped, after the diet defense at Varms, he was spirited away to the Wartburg Castle. The first task, the major task Luther would undertake in hiding was the translation of the Bible into the language of his people. I'm going to put James Kittleson's words on the screen for you, uh, a, a grand biography of Luther. Luther there in the castle in hiding. Luther translated the entire New Testament into German within 11 weeks. Think about that. That's fast. Like a man possessed, he wrote, he worked at the rate of more than 1,500 words per day. Now, look, when you type stuff up, you know it's 250 words, double space, 250 words a page. That's six pages a day. And he's not, just, he's not just copying. He is thinking word by word, what is this in German? Kittleton notes, what Luther, what Luther produced was so masterful that in time it did much to create the modern German language. He was determined to do as good a job as possible and prove to the world that German nightingales can sing as beautifully as Roman goldfinches, end quote. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, it became the rallying, rallying cry of the Reformation. And as it turns out for Luther, the inspired Word of God is what opened the door for him to the incarnate Word of God. Martin 
met Jesus through Scripture. And that's the deal. That's that, that little line at the beginning. That's the point. When you, with a genuine desire, your life is upside down right now, and it could be. With genuine desire, if you come to this book, you've never read the book before, you've occasionally thumbed through it. You, with genuine desire, if you come to this book, I promise you, just as it was with Martin, through Scripture, you meet Christ. Through the, through the inspired Word, you meet the incarnate Word. And Stalpitz, he realizes there's no way to break the, there's, there's no way to, way to break the dark bondage of this young man's mind and heart. Stalpitz came to Luther one day and wisely said, hey, I've, I've decided something for you. I'm going to make you professor of theology, and I'm going to also make you pastor of the local church, and I want you to teach this book, and I want you to preach this book every week. The intent? Get him into the book. That's where the healing is. Get into the book. I promise you, you go into this book, the healing that you want, you'll find it. Luther later described that that transition, that conversion. Put Luther's words on the screen. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement in Romans 1.17 that the just shall live by his faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace, sola gracia, and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith, sola fide. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors. This is what's happening. He's... In that book again and again, and suddenly as if the doors one day just swing open, and he goes through the open doors into paradise. He writes, the whole of Scripture, sola scriptura, took on a new meaning, and whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. The book was the door to Christ. You will not come to Christ outside of that book. You can hear your friend's testimony. You can sing wonderful praise uh, hymns as we, as we have today. It, will, it is not sufficient to get you to Christ. If you need to come back to Jesus or you've never been to Him at all, but your heart right now is saying, I, I need something to restore sanity to my life, this little book, just this book, you go into this book. And by the way, if you're picking it up for the first time, I'm saying, I'm just saying the four Gospels. You stay in the four Gospels for a while. Four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will meet Him here. Guaranteed. That has always been the salvation trajectory for God through the Bible to Christ. Ah, so it was that Martin Luther became the sold-out defender of Christ in Scripture. Not that God needs you and me, by the way, to defend himself. He said, hey, I can handle this. But in a world dark with superstition as Luther's day, or in a world steeped in the darkness of secular agnosticism as in our day, the only way that you're going to penetrate that world is for you to go through the Word, inspired to the Word incarnate. Even if it means you have to stand alone, all alone, just like Martin, all alone. Four years after those 95 theses on the Wittenberg door, all hell breaks loose with Rome, and now Martin is the most wanted man in the Holy Roman Empire. He's been summoned to Worms to answer the charges, and as Martin stands... Be before what Great Controversy describes as the most illustrious personages in the empire. I love this line, Great Controversy, never had any man appeared, any human, in the presence of a more imposing assembly 
and that before which Martin Luther was to answer for his faith, end quote. How would, you, how would you like that to be you? Everybody's gathered. Everybody that somebody is there. And they're saying, you, boy, girl, come here. We want to know what you believe. Oh, I think about that. What would I say? What would you say? We need to, we need to just kind of drink in the immensity of this moment. Uh, Roland Bainton, in his powerful biography of Luther called Here I Stand, he describes the emperor. So you've got the emperor on one hand, and I'm going to show you a picture. You've got the emperor on one hand, and you have Luther. First, the, uh, the word picture, the scene. You see it on the screen there. The scene lends itself to dramatic portrayal. Here was young Charles. By the way, Charles is not even 20. Here was young Charles, heir of a long line of Catholic sovereigns, of Maximilian the Romantic, of Ferdinand the Catholic, of Isabella the Orthodox, scion of the House of Habsburg, Lord of Austria, Burgundy, the Low Country, Spain, and Naples, save Charlemagne, symbol of, a me of medieval unities, incarnation of a glorious evanishing heritage, and there standing before him. Now get the picture. So you have this mighty emperor, and there standing before him a simple monk, a miner's son with nothing to sustain him save his own faith in the Word of God. I want you to picture it now visually. Let's put it on the screen. This is Anton von Werner's painting. I have this where I have worship every morning. I'll look at that picture every day. And this isn't the whole picture. Let me tell you, the picture goes out like this, just wide. I want you to look at that picture. It's one of the great and dramatic confrontations in all of Christian history. The young emperor the young priest, surrounded by a host. You can only see part of them. By the way, they, so many prelates of the church, so many princes of the nation showed up, they had to go to a second assembly hall. It wasn't, the first one wasn't, was not large enough. And on the second day, keep that picture up, on the second day, when the papal legate, there in the red, when the papal legate looks at Martin and he asks the question, do you stand by your writings or do you admit heresy and recant? Luther speaks with a clarion voice into the hush of the vast assemblage. These words on the screen for you. Unless, the place you could hear a pin drop, unless I can be instructed and convinced with evidence from the Holy Scriptures or with open, clear, and distinct grounds and reasoning, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God, then I cannot and will not recant because it is neither safe nor wise to act, act against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. That's quite a line unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture. By the way, the only way you could possibly speak those words is if you are already immersed in Scripture. And that, my friends, on this Reformation Sabbath is my appeal to you. That's it. It's time. It is high time for us as a people to embrace Holy Scripture as never before and become immersed in the Word of God. If you had been the one standing alone what would you have said were you to be asked? You say, ah, seasoned Adventist young Christian, it doesn't matter. Nobody's asking us. Are you kidding? Let me refresh your memory. Thanks to Donald Trump's undisguised jab 
at Ben Carson for being a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The national press has already come knocking. I got two friends of mine in church headquarters in Washington. They called me this week. Dwight, you're not going to believe it. They are coming. They are knocking. Anderson Cooper, they're all lining up. And by the way, they're not the only ones who want to know. Your neighbors want to know. They somehow heard along the way in this little village of Bering Springs there are a few Adventists living in town. What do you believe anyway? Yo, aren't you one of them? Split second. What are you going to say? The point is inescapable. We as a people need to know what the Word of God actually says about what we say we believe. Brother Martin, do you or do you not recant what you believe? And it is here that I hope you will catch the very good news embedded in this story, and that is if you stand alone on the Word of God, you will never stand alone. I need you to get that. If you stand on the Word of God, you will never, ever stand alone. Great controversy draws a veil aside, and what biographers cannot tell us, great controversy does. Listen to this, these words on the screen. Had the eyes of the assembly been opened, they would have beheld angels of God in the midst of them, shedding beams of light athwart the darkness of error and opening minds and hearts to the reception of truth. Get the picture. One lone man standing on the Word of God, and all heaven shows up to defend him. One man. That's all it takes. One woman who's willing to stand up and speak out just takes one. You can set the whole world ablaze with just your witness if you're ready to go. Keep reading here. It was the power of the God of truth and wisdom that controlled even the adversaries of the Reformation and thus prepared the way for the great work about to be accomplished. Say, oh, sure, Dwight, if I were a superstar like Martin Luther, I'd get all kinds of angels with me, but I'm little old me, and I beg to differ with you. Same book, page 600, on the screen again. The Bible should never be studied without prayer. So you're going to get into this book with a genuine desire. You'll pray every single time before you go. Every single time before you turn a page, you're going to pray. God, I'm opening myself up to you. Speak to me now. The Bible should never be studied without prayer. The Holy Spirit alone can cause us to feel the importance of those things easy to be, be understood or prevent us from resting or harming truths difficult of comprehension. Now, here it comes. It is the office of heaven, the angels, to prepare the heart so to comprehend God's Word. You get the angels too. It is the office, the ministry of angels, to prepare the heart to comprehend God's Word. And then I love this ending, that we shall be charmed with its beauty, admonished by its warnings, or animated and strengthened by its promises." End quote. You stand alone on the Word of God, and who knows, maybe God will send to you the very same angels He sent to Luther at that moment. If you need extras, He has them. It is their mission. It is their office. When you open your mouth, boom, reporters, camera shoved in your face, microphone, girl, you're one of them, tell me what they believe. What do you believe? Boom. God is wanting to raise up a people who know what they believe and know why they believe it and know where to find it in this book. If we only eat the book on Sabbath, 
Come on, Dwight. Give us a little more. Give us a little more. If we only eat the book on Sabbath, that's the point. We're starving to death, and we'll never know that book. You can't live only on Sabbath. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God every single day. God's raising up a generation, and I believe you're it. God needs only one, just one, sold out on Him, and I believe you're it. You say, Dwight, I'm 80. That's the perfect age, by the way. That's when Moses started his reformation. <laughs> Don't worry about your age. All God is dependent on is somebody who's dependent on Him. Any age, and you're it. This is the generation. Who knows where this crazy climate is going politically? It's none, none of our concern. We have bigger fish to fry. We have a planet to reach. And you're the generation, and that's all I'm saying. I'm just saying, if you stand alone on the Word of God, put that on the screen. I want to, I want to make sure I get that right. If you stand alone on the Word of God, you will never stand alone. That's the point. You will never stand alone. If you stand alone on the Word of God, you will never stand alone. And that's good news. In fact, when I was in kindergarten, I learned a song. Maybe you learned it too. Sing it with me if you know it. The B-I-B-L-E. Slow it down. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Come on, let's do it again. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Oh, God, for such time as this, a band, just give us a band of young men and young women who will stand alone on Your Word. You'll turn the world upside down. Dear Father, for such a time as this, give us a generation. Give us an entire generation of men and women who will stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And when our stories align as they one day will, may the secret to the first story be the secret to the last story. We pray in Christ's name that all the people say, Amen.